everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Whom God Has Joined, by Isabel Kuhn, with permission of OMF International, and we are reading Chapter 4, How to Develop a Taste for Bean Curd. It has been agreed between us that for the first five months after our marriage, John should run the housekeeping with the help of his cookboy, Ying Chang. There were good reasons for starting out in this topsy-turvy way. The China Inland Mission requires that missionaries be two years on the field before uniting in marriage. This rule has been called in question from time to time, and it just happened that we struck a period when the mission revoked the two-year rule in favor of a trial of one year. Later, they returned to the two-year rule, believing it more firmly than ever. But John and I came in on this one-year trial period and decided to take advantage of it. By this time, of course, John had been in China three years, but our superintendent, Mr. J.O. Frazier, was disappointed. I had hoped, he said, that you too would set an example and wait the two years anyway. Now Miss Miller will never get the language well. If his wife's freedom to study Chinese was all that was against our marrying at the end of one year, John cheerfully offered to run the household until my third language examination was finished. He had run it in his bachelor days, so it would be merely continuing with his old routine. And with his wonderful Yang Chang as cook, we anticipated no problems. As a matter of fact, I did get my language exams written off in less than the allotted period, despite Mr. Fraser's prophecy. A real reason for desiring an early marriage was to release me for, for country work and witness. Bandits abounded in the country areas in those days. Kunming had been besieged by a powerful brigand, and all the single ladies had been quickly called in from the outer parts. Word was given that only married women with their husbands would be allowed to work outside of city gates. There seemed no prospect of the situation clearing soon, and as workers within the walls were many and those in the country places pitifully few, we felt we had the Lord's permission to marry and to go to those needy ones, and so we got married. Good servants were scarce in Yunnan, and I remember far back as our language school days, our principal, Mrs. Alice McFarlane, had counseled us to begin to pray for domestic help. I had told her proudly of Ying Chang and how fortunate I was that I would not have the servant worries as such as young brides often had. She did not say much in reply, but gave me a very quizzical look, for which I could not account at that moment. But I remembered with understanding later. Our days were well filled. Early every morning, John held a Bible class for converts. The Lord had given us a fine group of them. An ex-actor, Mr. Yang, had been brought to Christ largely through John's witness, also a priest named Deng, and a slave girl and others. All morning I studied the language, John also having some time with the teacher. There was a street chapel in which he preached and I played the folding organ. In the afternoon we often went into the villages on the plain outside the city gate. In those days, souls were won to Christ, who remained true to him through later years of testing. It was John who suggested our first field trip together. Some months before our marriage, he and Tom Mulholland had heard of another valley plain about 17 miles from Qingcheng called Yangsun. They had paid a quick visit to it before going to Kunming for our wedding, but no one had been there since. They found a farming population of about 20 villages. As far as we know, no white man has ever been there before. The gospel message was absolutely new to them. John now proposed that we make up an evangelistic party and give a week's preaching to 
to that area, Ying Chang and his bride would go with us and one of the recent men converts, I think it was the actor Yang, to add his testimony to ours. This is what I've long looked forward to doing, darling John said, to lead you over the beautiful hills of Yunnan. The joy of those tricks for him and with him and with one after another continued to highlight our married life for many years. Arriving in Yangsan Plain, we went to the market town. There was no hotel in a small place, so they sent us to an old temple where we could sleep in the upstairs room. Yang Chang could cook for us downstairs. I was the first white woman those Chinese had ever seen, and they simply thronged us day and night. We could not eat or sleep without an audience. Boys climbed neighboring roofs to look in and watch. Exhausted after being on display from morning to night, I would go to bed, only to find women request that they might come up and talk to me while I was in bed. I would preach my little one sermon, and then John or Mr. Yang would give them a good talk on the way of salvation. During the day, we went out into the plain, preaching from village to village, but each evening we held an open-air meeting at Yangsan Market, where our temple and inn was. I had my Hawaiian guitar along, and I recorded it as we sang choruses and sacred songs in Chinese. One evening, as I was accompanying the singing, I looked up to find our little group at the bottom of what seemed a cone of eager, living yellow faces. The Chinese had climbed on benches, windowsills and roofs, anywhere they could to watch the guitar. As I looked up at them, I could, all I could see in any direction were Chinese, 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 until immediately overhead my eyes at last met the tranquil beauty of the dark, star-spangled sky. Oh, what deep joy thrilled my heart. All these were listening to the old, old story, many for the very first time. By the end of that week's effort, a little group of inquirers had been called out for the Lord. Ying Chang and his wife had nothing to do all day except cook our meals. As we ate Chinese food with them, it was no arduous task. Meal after meal, there appeared only rice and bean curd. Maybe some meat, but always soybean curd. It tasted me like squares of flannel boiled or scorched flannel fried. At first, I thought the small town produced nothing else. But as I went out early and looked, I saw a lovely variety of potatoes and carrots and onions and cabbage. Indeed, many things for sale and quite cheap. So I asked housekeeper John to suggest to the cook a little variation from bean curd. But inevitably, when we arrived at the table, there was the same old thing again. Evidently, Ying Chang and his wife liked it. It was easy to prepare, no peeling like the potatoes or carrots, and they had long been accustomed to cook only what they pleased. The last day of the week arrived, and we left early in the morning to work the far end of the plain. We knew we might not be back until dark. I'll be very hungry by supper time, John. Please make sure Ying Chang buys some potatoes and carrots. Something I can eat, I pleaded. All right, dear, said John, and I heard him give the order. I set out confident that by nighttime we would have a square meal. It was a beautiful morning. The golden air had cheery nip of winter in it, and the little lake at the far end sparkled with the blue waters into the yellow sunshine. In the center of the plain spread the rice fields. At the rim, little hamlets were marked out by the feathery green clusters of bamboo growing beside the adobe houses. From farm to farm we went. I played the guitar to draw the crowd, and we all sang in Chinese. And when a group had gathered, John and Mr. Yang preached. I talked with the women and the children, and we gave out tracts before moving on to the next clay-walled farmyard. Everyone was friendly, but when noon came, no one offered us anything to eat. 
I began to feel very hungry as I had not been able to eat a big breakfast when it was just rice and bean curd. Oh, just endure a bit, dear, John said. This is missionary life. It takes time to walk as far as this, and I want to visit every farm at the end of the plane before we go back. Perhaps we can buy some food at the next place. But we never could. So it continued all day long. John was four years younger than I, and at the beginning of our marriage life, he had a tendency to drive me beyond my strength, not realizing that I really did not have the physical reserves he had. Once we were able to buy some Chinese toffee, but my empty stomach resented the sweets. By the time we returned to the inn, I was faint as well as weary. I kept struggling on, thinking of meat and potatoes with perhaps some carrots. Up the stairs of the inn we went, and I was able to sit on my bed while John brought me a basin of water to wash off the dust. Is supper ready, Ying Chang? Yes, Pastor, we'll bring it right up. It felt good to wash the dirt off, and Ying Chang and his wife were arranging bowls of steaming something in the middle of the table. I came over and looked. Bean curd. Even the meat had not been cooked properly, but mixed in with the gravy flannel squares. Where are the potatoes and carrots, I asked. Ying Chang looked at his wife, and she looked at him. Obviously, neither had paid any attention to that order. We didn't see any at the market today, they answered, united. Is there nothing else to eat, I asked, desperately disappointed. Nothing. It was too much for me, and I fell on my face on the bed and wept. John urged me to, to self-control, but I was too tired. I cried and cried and finally cried myself to sleep. Before midnight, I woke up in my stomach growling with emptiness until it hurt. I sat up and hubby came over to me. Won't you try to eat a little rice at least, dear? He said anxiously. I'll get Ying Chang to heat some up for you. All right, I'll try a little, I said weakly. A few minutes later, John handed me a bowl of warm rice with bean curd on top. But do you know, it did not taste so scorched flamily this time. In fact, one bowl downed, I held out for a second helping. From then on in my missionary life, Bean Curd and I were friends. I never grew very fond of it, but it was no longer obnoxious. As it was very nutritious, I often had it on my own table at home with a dish of some very tempting vegetables alongside. This episode became a family joke, and from then on, whenever some new Chinese dish appeared which did not appeal to me, my husband would be sure to say, Maybe if you cry a little first, you would enjoy it, Belle. The day was to come when I would learn to meet life's disappointments dry-eyed. There would be an hour when my husband himself would say wistfully that a few tears were sometimes a good thing, but it takes time to grow, and it takes more than one season to mellow. Chapter 5 His Wonderful Cook is Viewed by Her Ying Chang's laziness continued to be a sore point. I started out meaning to be a very kind mistress. Chinese never give their servants time off, and I arrange that Ying Chang and his wife have a half a day a week, and in every other way I watch for their comfort, until I found out it was quite unnecessary. Their comfort was their own prime concern. One piercingly cold day, as I sat motionless, studying with a Chinese teacher, we both became so chilled that I ordered a brazier of burning charcoal. Ying Chang was long time bringing it and finally appeared with a tiny thing which I'd never seen before. In it, a few black coals were just beginning to ignite. It gave out almost no heat, so the teacher and I continued to shiver. Knowing we had a good-sized new brazier, I grew suspicious. 
I excused myself and went in search of our helpers. It was early morning and there were no servants inside at all. So I made my way for their bedroom. Sure enough, there, doing nothing, sat the two of them around the big brazier piled high with red hot coals toasting their toes in a luxurious ease. The origin of the tiny pot was obvious. They had given us theirs and spared only a coal or two to start it. No, there was no need for me to be anxious for their welfare. In fact, their demands increased. In that area, country Chinese never took baths in bathtub. They did not possess such things. But these two had decided they must have everything John and Isabel Kuhn had. So I found Ying Chang one day carrying my zinc tub to their bedroom. What are you doing with that, Ying Chang? I asked. My wife wishes to take a bath, he answered blandly. But his wife had the itch, and I was treating her for it. Let her use the bathtub downstairs, I said. She has the itch, and it is catching. I do not wish you to use ours. He made a sour face, but had to comply. A day or so later, as she had been in our bedroom, she came out smelling strongly of my perfume. It was the only bottle I had brought from home to help me over those moments when certain odors were a little too much for me. That particular brand of perfume was not sold in our part of China. The inference was obvious, but she most indignantly denied it, saying it was her own perfume. I asked to see her bottle. As a bride, she had some, but it was packed away carefully in her suitcase, and the scent was very different. When I pointed this out, she went to bed for two days and sulked, refusing to do any work whatever. Ying Chang declared she was ill. Climaxes are not geysers that suddenly appear. They are mountains of small incidents, gradually piling up until they reach a peak. This time, the topping experience was so trifle that I do not remember the matter at all. Ying Chang had failed in some duty, and when I pointed it out to John in the boy's presence, hoping to get it corrected, John turned on me, siding with Ying Chang. Hot with temper, I said nothing, but I put on my hat and coat and walked out of the house. Down through the town and out into the plain I went, anger, resentment boiling within. I was not going to live in a house where a lazy servant was condoned and preferred to the mistress. And so on went my thoughts. I walked for hours, blind as to the direction, not caring what happened to me, just determined to get away from it all. Finally, I was brought to myself by the curious glances of the Chinese. Little villages studded that plain, and I must have been in one of them as dark was falling. It was not done. Good women in, were in their houses at such an hour. For the first time, the torment of my own feelings fell into enough quiet for that still, small voice to be heard. You have not considered me, and my honor, and all of this have you, the voice said. You came to this land to make me known. How much of me has anyone learned from you this day, do you think? I was appalled. Oh, dear Lord, I'm sorry. It is true. I've been full of myself and my hurt feelings. What can I do? You can go back, the voice said relentlessly. I thought again of Ying Chang's smirking face and flinched. But Lord, how can I endure the humiliation? The servants are laughing at me. How do you think I endure the humiliation you brought on me before those people? The voice said. You have not invited me into this servant situation. You have just tried to manage by your own wits. Then and there I invited him, humbly pleaded with him to work it out for me and turned my steps homeward. What happened when the irresistible force collides with the immovable object? 
the first reaction was to bounce off a path of its own, back into the little wooded upstairs, and the immovable object sat still at his desk. Outwardly, he was studying Chinese, but inwardly a gloomy feeling that something had gone wrong with the universe depressed him. This wife of his, if she was angry, why had she not said so? In his good Pennsylvania Dutchland, people spoke their minds, talked back and forth. Then a fellow could explain his side. But to flash you an angry look and then just walk out, he squirmed uncomfortably in his seat. Where had she gone anyway? An hour or more had passed. Why didn't she come back? What if she didn't come back? And the thought made him go hot all over. It would be mighty embarrassing to have to explain that to people. If there was anything he hated, it was a thing like this. But maybe he had been a little at fault, too. If only he had waited until Ying Chang had left before he rebuked her. That was probably what vexed her. To side with a servant in the servant's presence. Of course, he had not actually excused Ying Chang. It had all happened so suddenly. And why did she always have to be noticing things that were wrong with Ying Chang? He had gotten along with him perfectly well before marriage. Why not after? Of course, he'd never checked Ying Chang closely, and Ying Chang's wife did not seem very helpful. That was for sure. It was getting pretty dark. But what if she did not? But at that moment, she did. Conquered by the really irresistible force, in the door walked the so-called irresistible force, a humbled and grief-stricken wife. Oh, you're back. What a relief. Looking at her curiously, he asked, Where did you go? Out the east gate. An unusual quietness was still upon her. Well, it's past supper time, and I've already eaten, but I'll call Ying Chang to heat yours up. Little was said either during the meal for the rest of the evening over the Chinese study books, but each felt a gentleness in the other that had not been there before. After their Bible reading and prayer time before retirement, the immovable object suddenly said, You may dismiss Ying Chang and his wife if they bother you that much but I do not know whom you will get in their place to help you. Servants are hard to find. Wonder of wonders, how did such a renunciation come about? The really irresistible force had been at work and hit this heart also. What a difference when we invite him into our situation. Thank you, dear. I know what it costs you to say that. I know it would mean a lot to you if we turn Ying Chang out. But really, if he's going to cause trouble between us, nothing is worth that much, is it? I don't mind doing the work myself. We will just have to ask the Lord to find us another helper. Anything is better than what I've been through today. The bridegroom got a tender kiss in token of love's sacrifice. It is only fair to point out that Ying Chang had not been so difficult to deal with before his marriage. When John and he were both bachelors, they did much traveling and preaching together. John encouraged him to take his turn in public witness for Christ. Thus they often stood shoulder to shoulder in open-air meetings or sat side by side in tea shops, talking of Christ to others. This inevitably led to regard and mutual affection. As we watched later events, it was obvious that Ying Chang got the wrong wife. She was a nominal Christian who had joined the church only to please her family. Following the Christian custom of engaged couples rarely seeing each other, he did not know her well. Her pretty face satisfied him, and she did not reveal the proud, lazy, selfish nature behind it. Once married, all her counsel was for self-advancement. It was not hard to push Ying Chang into taking advantage of his intimacy with John. To dismiss his old comrade of the preaching trail was truly hard. 
The next morning, I told Ying Chang and his wife that their service was not satisfactory and they might go home. Of course, Ying Chang went immediately to John, expecting the triumph of the day before, but did not receive it. Ying Chang and his wife went off to their bedroom and closed the door. They did not work, but neither did they make the slightest move to leave. I could hardly wait to see the last of them, clean up the place and get it into order, which my soul longed for. But I had yet to learn that dismissing a servant in Asia was not the simple matter it is at home. The following morning I had my first experience of trying to light an open grape fire and cook breakfast on it. As I was struggling with the smoke and the coals that would not ignite, John came up to me, took the fan, and said gravely, I'll fan this. You're wanted upstairs. Wondering who would want me at that early hour, I quite forgetting the regular morning Bible class, I descended to the wooden stairs to the chapel beneath our two rooms. To my consternation, there was a whole church board of deacons seated looking at me, with Ying Chang triumph in the background. Please be seated, Mrs. Kuhn, said the town postmaster, who was also the leading elder. He was very solemn and immediately began a long, grave dissertation. My heart beat with panic. It has always been easier for me to speak a foreign language than to understand it. Being nervous, I soon lost his flow of speech. Excuse me for a moment, I said. I do not understand. May I go for Pastor Kuhn to inter interpret for me, please? Turning, I fled up the stairs. John, I grasped. You've got to come and help me. Do come down and interpret for me. How can I answer when I do not understand what they said? Well, my spouse said slowly, guess I can do that much. So down the two of us went, and the solemn diaconate proceeded to review this rather serious affair. The sum of the postmaster's remarks was this. They, the church deacons, had helped Pastor Coon secure these two Christian servants. They understood that Pastor Coon himself had been quite satisfied with Young Ting's services in the past. Was that so, Pastor Coon? Face grave, Pastor Coon bowed his head in affirmation. But now Mrs. Coon says they must be dismissed. Would she kindly explain why? Have they stolen anything? A profound silence followed. Every ear turned to hear the answer. No, they had not been dishonest. Had there been any immoral conduct? No. What then was their crime? Eight pairs of disapproving black eyes were fastened upon me. I felt like a culprit at the bar, and Ying Chang was grinning broadly now. Humiliated and trembling with excitement, I tried to explain their laziness and imprudence. I related the story of their using our big brazier and giving us the tiny one, but the Chinese mouth merely curled in derision. Of course, servants were lazy, else they would not be in that class but they have the enterprise to set up business for themselves. What else do you expect? Just when my hope had ebbed and life seemed to have lost all its savor, the postmaster turned and addressed Ying Chang. You had better pack up your belongings then and go home. The relief which that word brought me gave me strength to see the meeting to the end. That day, Ying Chang and his wife packed their things and left us. Now I was to find out that Ying Chang had been some use after all. My early morning prayer time was broken by having to light that fire on the primitive Chinese cooking stove. I had to learn from experience that when I did not balance the pots carefully and one tipped its water a little, the cloud of ashes would rise in the air and descend all over me, and the stove and the meal. If enough water happened to spill, it would put out the fire. Breakfast finally accomplished, I must go to the market and buy meat and vegetables for the day. 
There was no fixed prices in those days, and every single thing had to be bargained for. This gave some language practice, but it took far too much time. I might return home to find that there had been women visitors, but after long waiting for me, they had left. John, of course, pitched in and helped me with the lighting of the fires and marketing. But that first morning, he felt it would be good if I learned the seriousness of dismissing servants whom the church had provided for us. It was a lesson which I needed. Washing up and ironing also proved time-consuming. To haul up every drop of water in a bucket from the well, try to get some heated, and then sit and rub clothes by hand took hours. As often as I wiped off the flat irons, heated on the open charcoal, it seemed that a speck of soot would dance down on the shirt before me and get ironed into a black streak before I knew it had landed. I wondered how Mrs. Yang Chang had turned out such clean clothes for us. Often in those mists of those busy days, I could hear an echo of a deacon's voice. There are worse things than laziness. As days went by and I felt myself unduly tied to secondary things, we began to make the servant problem a matter of prayer. The Lord needed to be invited into this affair. When he was, he took command as he always can. He sent us to a young married woman who had been deserted by her husband and left so destitute that the very clothes she had on her back were borrowed. She wasn't a Christian and her family was notoriously crooked. But she showed me that there were able Christian servants in this world. She proved to be the cleverest, most industrious helper I have ever had until I went to Le Soulin. I had to show her how to do things only once, and my burden in that regard was lifted permanently. Best of all, I was able to lead her to the trust of the Lord Jesus as her personal Savior. Unfortunately for me, when we were so soon called to move to the West, Mrs. Chang's husband, finding her well-clothed and with money in her pocket, claimed her back, and I had to leave her with him. I put her in touch with the nearest missionary and never saw her again, but I trust I shall in heaven. And next time will be chapter 6, Seasoned with Salt. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.